Some people you get along with more than others. And, and I pinpointed maybe where that affinity comes from, and I think it's, it's when you meet somebody who's been through a lot and has had to go through a lot. It wasn't their choice. They had to go through a lot. Somehow those are the people that I, I hit it off with quickly, and I guess that's why the EB community are the people that I really love. Welcome to this episode of our new AWS podcast series, Innovation Ambassadors. I'm Sarah Armstrong, and as Senior Manager for Worldwide Prototyping at AWS, I'll act as your ambassador to some of the most interesting engagements with our AWS prototyping teams. On this episode of Innovation Ambassadors, we're showcasing the journey of EB Research and their mission to accelerate treatments and unlock a cure for epidermolysis bullosa, EB, a devastating and life-threatening genetic skin disorder that affects children from birth. Today, we'll explore how EB Research, with their unique approach to funding, venture philanthropy, is leveraging the power of cloud computing to provide a common research and collaboration platform and bringing together a consortium of medical professionals and research scientists, as well as patients and parents, to achieve a more promising future for children born with EB. I'm delighted to welcome Michael Hund, CEO of EB Research. Thanks so much for being with us here today, Michael. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here, Sarah. And joining us from our public sector team, we have Ryan Jankaitis, Global Product Manager, Leader for Envision Engineering Prototyping. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Sarah. Good to talk to you again, Michael. So, Michael, first of all, can you just tell our listeners a little bit about what EB is? Individuals with EB are often called butterfly children because their their skin is as fragile as the wings of a butterfly. Uh, kids with EB, from the moment they're born, go through you know, painful bandage changes, bleach baths every day, and hours and hours of doctor's appointments. So many that live with EB are children because it's incredibly life-threatening. So EB Research Partnership was born to solve that problem by a group of mm -hmm. parents that just simply wanted to save their children's lives, the Silver family and the Fulmer family. There was not research being done. The landscape was bleak. Uh, and they wanted results, they wanted answers, and they wanted action. Uh, they were lucky enough early on to be joined by rock star Eddie Vedder, uh, from the, uh, the hailing from Seattle, the same place, yeah. coincidentally, as AWS and Amazon, mm -hmm. uh, and his wife, Jill Vedder. Jill's best childhood friend, uh, uh, Ryan Fulmer, had a child with EB. And the second that Jill and Ed met, uh, Mikey, this little guy, they said, look, we want to dedicate uh, our lives to doing something about this. And, and that's the, the optimistic thing with EB. We actually can do something. EB is caused by one genetic mutation. We know that target. We have it in our sights. And every morning we wake up knowing that the possibility that not only can we cure this disease in our lifetime, um, but perhaps even before the end of this decade is a realistic possibility, not only shared by us, at EB Research Partnership, but shared by the medical community as well. So how do we accomplish that? EBRP takes a different approach. You know, we believe a 501c3 is a tax status, not a business model. 
you know, the models really evolved in the last two years. We went from just funding universities under a venture philanthropy model. We've actually now started four companies of our own, right? And and that's probably not talked about often uh, in the medical research nonprofit space. But we've realized under that model, uh, things can move incredibly quick when you work with companies that are really primed um, to advance things quickly from the bench uh, in a lab to the bedside of a patient at, at record speed. And, you know, whether it be an academic medical center, a private company, a public t- company, a, a pharmaceutical company, or biotech, we believe in funding the most promising research that's going to accomplish our mission, which is to cure the disease as quickly as possible. The second pillar is collaboration. You know, early on, EB Research Partner said, EB Research Partnership said, this will all move so much faster if we can figure out a way to encourage and incentivize uh, universities to play nice in the sandbox together, to take data out of silos, begin sharing it w- with one another, and really accelerate the pace of, of research development and discovery. So we formed something called the EB Clinical Research Consortium, which is 20 really EB centers of ex- excellence of the leading academic medical centers in the United States, and you know really funded these, these universities um, under the condition that you will share data, de-identify data with one another uh, to put speed and inject speed in, in the process of your research, meaning that you know, a discovery that happens on the West Coast can in turn benefit a university on the East Coast, and in turn, that university on the East Coast can benefit a university in other parts of the world. And we've seen that be really effective. And finally, the last pillar is data and data platforms. Uh, this is the newest pillar for us, the newest form of understanding, which in fact is what we're here to talk about today. It wasn't until mm-hmm. you know meeting Ryan and meeting the AWS team that we started to explore the art of the possible. You know, We have a big, bold vision of what we can build to accelerate um, the pace of a patient's journey with their disease and leveraging things like artificial intelligence and cloud computing and existing data sets and new data sets um, to, to make a data platform that serves the, the, the medical community, the patient community, uh, and the regulatory community as well uh, to quickly, quickly move uh, as rapidly as possible towards a cure. You mentioned this statistic of it being one of 7,000 rare diseases, which as I understand it, 95% of them lack any kind of um, FDA approval or approved treatments. Can you tell us a little bit about how that impacted your model for venture philanthropy? Yeah, absolutely. And you, you hit it spot on, right? Um, if you look at rare diseases individually, right, they're often small populations, could be anywhere from a few hundred patients uh, in, in the world with any particular rare disease, could be thousands. The definition of a rare disease is a disease that affects 200,000 or less uh, patients. Now, you know, the problem we're solving, and, and in fact, this is how Ryan and I met and began our first conversations is that 95% of those rare diseases do not have a treatment. And, and why is that, right? I mean, when you are a small group, uh, it, it's hard to make traction and make progress um, in multiple fronts, you know, finding the resources from a funding perspective, or even from medical minds that are interested and knowledgeable about the space. Uh, is there a patient advocacy group or a foundation that's united people with the same mission, which is to advance treatments and cures uh, for any said rare disease. And, you know, the the landscape of research and development and clinical trials and drug development, you know, oftentimes it's about markets, right? So trying to determine how can we incentivize the biotech and pharmaceutical industries to show interest in these diseases with very small populations. 
Um, so that's a bit of, of why, you know, the problem of only 95% of those diseases having, having treatments. Um, but again, if, if you look at it collectively and rare disease as a cohort, as a group, um, you know, this is actually quite large. You know, 400 people worldwide is, is more than the entire population of the United States. 400 million people suffering from rare diseases that don't have the same ability to fund research um, to find cures. Yeah, exactly. I think even within that community, often we're, we find that the research is disparate. It's um, done at individual institutions and universities or what have you that aren't necessarily sharing that data or sharing that information as they're focusing on one particular aspect of the research. Is that right, Michael? Absolutely. And, you know, to expand, you know, what we can do about this problem, right? I mean, first, you said it, you know, collaboration is key. Collaboration means acceleration. So uh, this is no knock on the academic medical industry as a whole. However, it's just the way that it is, right? It's a a Mm -hmm. publisher parish mentality. Data sharing is not um, systematic. It's, It's not encouraged, right? It's not the norm in this field. So part of you know, advancing large data sharing initiatives is really changing the behavioral science, right? Of making the case that, you know, together, if we can bring uh, universities and academic medical centers together to share data, things will move faster. And whether you're a PhD researcher, whether you're an MD clinician, uh, whether you're a parent, a patient, or the leader of an advocacy group or medical research foundation, we all want the same thing right? We, we want treatments, we want cures. Now, what makes us different is most times medical research organizations would say, great, we've approved these projects, we're going to fund them, and we're really going to hope for the best and, and see what happens. What's different about our model is, you know, oftentimes we call ourselves uh, benevolent investors or venture capitalists with a cause. The second that we approve that research, whether it be working with a university, an academic medical center, or even a biotech or pharmaceutical company, we negotiate an economic interest and a financial stake in that research. So what does that mean? If the research that we fund is eventually commercialized, we generate a return on investment to fund more research until we cure the disease. So, you know, that ROI is return on investment, but it's also return on impact, right? It's a sustainable funding model that continue um, and grow. So Ryan, Michael mentioned this challenge around data and information being locked away in silos, right, Um, in these different uh, research institutions. Tell us a little bit about how you approached that, how you came to work with Michael's team and what you were really trying to achieve with bringing that data together. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, at, at the Envision Engineering team within AWS, our, one of our core goals is to see how we can help uh, nonprofit and, and worldwide public sector customers um, achieve their mission and have an impact uh, on the world and, and what they're what they're trying to achieve. Um, and you heard from Michael that there's a couple different ways that when I first started talking to him about this opportunity, I saw massive impact opportunities. Uh, the first for EB itself, right? Um, as a parent and really as a human being, and if you start to see some of the some of the challenges that these kids and some of the things they overcome on a day to day basis, you know, any small impact that we could have on that, I personally wanted to be involved in. Uh, but then you start hearing Michael talk about the 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 venture philanthropy model and looking at seven thousand other rare diseases and ten percent of the population. That's the exponential impact that we thought we could have, and that's a huge uh, that's a huge area that AWS looks to to address. 
So, you know, going through the, that process and, and digging deep into, into Michael's challenges and his mission and what EB actually meant um, and some of the challenges around getting that collaboration that he's just touched on, uh, that was a, right in our wheelhouse and something that we, we, we jumped right on to, to, take, uh, to see if we could help out with and take to the next level. So, you know, the first thing we did is, you know, Michael say we locked him in a room, but he came in voluntarily and sat with us for six hours um, and talking to, you know, some researchers and some data stakeholders uh, and really trying to work backwards from where do you want to be in 12 months? Where are you now? And what, what do we have to do to get you there? What does it mean to say that AWS is the place to build this solution? And the first challenge we talked about was that data collaboration. How do I know what data is available to me? How do I know it's relevant to my research? How do I know if there's specific, say, you know, cell information for this specific subtype of EB? Where does it live? Who owns it? Who has permission to it, right? There's a lot of different pieces around not only getting access to the data, but finding the right data for that solution. You talked a little bit about unlocking that data. There's also, isn't there, Michael, there's security and HIPAA compliance uh, regulations around this data and this information. What was the approach that you all took to from an organizational and standpoint, but also then Ryan, I want to come back to the then what the technology solutions to those challenges were? Healthcare is a complicated space, as it should be. We're dealing with people's lives. Uh, however, there is a happy medium between rapid technological advancement and regulatory compliance, and most importantly, serving the needs of, of patients. And I think one of the things that I learned uh, going through the process with AWS and Amazon is this really customer-centric approach, right? Starting with the customer, starting with the needs and the desires of the customer. And I think our question from the beginning and our approach was, you know, let's start with patients. You know, what are patients not getting today? What can we provide them? So these were some big questions that we had. Um, questions are questions and bold, audacious ideas are bold, audacious ideas. Uh, I, I felt for a long time, you know, saying this into some sort of a void. Uh, and then look, we were so lucky to meet Ryan and the AWS team. And for the first time, I think we found a partner. And I think what was really significant was working with a technology partner as opposed to a pure healthcare or academic medical center mm. partner, right? Somebody that shared mm. that that pace, that big vision, that art of possible that it's like, no, no, we can do this. Um, this isn't uh, too audacious or this isn't uh, too crazy or too bold. So when I met Ryan, you know, as part of the Envision Engineering team, I always describe him, you know, for me, this was the Navy SEALs of engineering because we talked about these ideas and immediately, and it started with Ryan and I and expanded to our respective organizations, found a, a thought partner and a thought collaborator that said, look, I'm, I'm picking up with what you're saying. Um, I understand it and, and let's evolve the conversation together. So um, you know, part of that was sitting down in a room with the key stakeholders. If you want to build a platform that works for healthcare, what stakeholders do you need sitting around the table with you? You need patients and families. Uh, you need the medical research organizations. You need the academic medical centers. And you need industry, uh, meaning regulatory partners and biotech and pharmaceutical companies. So I think from the first moment of sitting down in a room, perhaps for the first time in the history of healthcare, you know, and, and we were locked in the room, Ryan. I, I saw the lock turn on the door. <laughs> we, weren't, we weren't allowed to leave. But how powerful is that? 
that you can really sit down with dedicated time in a room with one another to say, how can we find synergy in the needs of us uh, individually within this community? So Ryan, you've brought these stakeholders together with Michael. You have this audacious vision and you have eight weeks to accomplish something, right? These engagements that we do with our customers are time boxed, right? So tell us a little bit about what you achieved. What was the technical approach that you took and what were you able to build with Michael and his team? Yeah, so as soon as we left the room, you know, with a really good understanding of the the business challenge that we were trying to address and the long-term vision that Michael was bringing to the table, our team needed to sit back and say, how are we going to combine technology to do this? And we came up with a, you know, three main approaches or three main considerations when building the solution. The first was we knew that this needed to be HIPAA compliant in the long run, right? We're talking about personal health information, personal identifiable information. We need to protect that information and any service or technology we use needed to enable EB research to hit their HIPAA compliance goals in the long run. Two, we also knew that EB was a, was a small organization. They didn't have a big technology arm. So we wanted to make the, the back end um, as low maintenance and as simple as possible. So take a very service-led approach to the architecture to make sure that undifferentiated heavy lifting of you know patch management and OS management and server management, EB didn't have to worry about any of those pieces and really take a serverless and serv- managed service approach to the architecture. And three, we knew we were going to have a bunch of different technology ranges for the users of the platform, from the investigators who are a little more technical, looking at you know scripting and high high performance research, to patients and parents of patients who are just focused on trying to cure this disease. They don't care about the technology under the covers. They are just looking to get information and help uh, their child along this particular journey. So with those three. Uh, three ideas in mind, we came up with a, a pretty straightforward web platform. Uh, this is a platform that focused on three different types of use cases, one for the administrator of the platform, one for the investigator who's looking for data and wanting to run research, and one for the patient or the parents of patients who wanted to contribute information, find clinical trials, identify similar patient or similar parents or patients in their area to connect with, find relevant information about what they're doing. Three very different user user stories and use cases around that. And our, we built a serverless web, web platform utilizing S3, API Gateway, and Lambda uh, to serve those three use cases. Fantastic. So, you know, we often talk in the, this series about um, the fact that trying to do something new sometimes uh, is frustrating, right? There's there's things that don't work out or plans that you have to work through failure as well. What was challenging here? What were some of the pain points or uh, things that you had to overcome? I think, you know, one of the biggest challenges to overcome, obviously, is bureaucracy. As Michael touched on, you know, uh, the regulations around healthcare data um, and who can see what, uh, the auditing behind that of who's accessing what is a big one. Um, Changing mindsets as well. If you are always used to downloading a bunch of data, setting up your own infrastructure, using your own, you know, desktop that's sitting right next to you to do all your analysis, moving into a cloud approach is very different on where the data needs to live, you know, how you access it, how you read it, what's possible, how quickly you can spin up a, you know, a multi-node cluster and break it back down again and not have to pay for it running 24 seven. Right? right. So the mindset, yeah. mindset shift that mm-hmm. came along uh, with that was, was large too. And then 
uh, and then validating, helping these research partners, the data partners validate that their data was secure and that we could really lock it down based on permissions of who could see it. So those mm-hmm. were the, the really the three ch- main challenges that we came across. And now in our, in our, in our mechanisms, right, um, in our eight weeks, Michael got to see everything. You know, we were upfront, open and honest. You know, some of our, their team uh, visited our daily standups. They got a demo at the every week, good, bad or ugly. We brought it out front and let, let Michael and team know of our challenges, what we thought was the best direction moving forward and collaborated and iterated with them to make sure that we were going in the, in the same direction to, to achieve his vision. Yeah, I was going to ask, Michael, you know, this was maybe a, a different experience for you. You mentioned that you don't have a lot of in-house technical resources. How was this approach to rapid prototyping, rapid innovation different for you? And what did you learn from the experience? Well, first of all, I mean, the experience was a wonderful learning experience. And it, it starts with the fact that, I mean, look, research in medicine is slow and steady for a reason, right? So, you know, our, our hypothesis and our push from the beginning wasn't that we want academia to move as fast as Amazon, but, but we did want academia to move closer towards the speed of an Amazon and an Amazon Web Services, right? So, you know, Ryan mentioned behavior. Behavior is so incredibly important because regulations in healthcare exist for a reason. However, uh, the challenge and the barrier can be that not often enough do we question uh, mm-hmm. certain barriers or do we mm-hmm. question, uh, can we push here? Um, can, can we jump here? Can we move here? And I think, you know, some of the things we learn is just that pace and, and finding the right partner from day one is incredibly important. So we knew from day one, after meeting Ryan and team, that we had the right partner in AWS as fast as we could envision, as fast as we could um, ideate. You know, AWS was right there beside us building quickly, you know, as Ryan mentioned, every single day. And, and you know, but, the, but the, the challenge on the medical partner side is finding the right clinicians. We use the term investigator for uh, researchers mm-hmm. and clinicians, right. finding the right investigators that not only welcome that pace, but could thrive in that pace. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, finding the right partner, and this, this is relevant whether you work in the healthcare space uh, or any other industry, making sure that you know you have a partner that A, shares the vision, B, is committed to rapid prototype builds and ideating and innovating and accelerating. And, you know, C, something that you mentioned is committed to the project for the long term, because, you know, whether you are a rare disease organization that serves a very large patient population or one that serves a small population, you know, they are not geared to have technological departments and technological offices. You know, I I challenge you to find many a nonprofit in any industry or any space, how many have CTOs or technology leaders or technology divisions? And certainly not us at EB Research Partnership, but I think after going through an eight-week rapid prototype build, which by the way, uh, Ryan and I laugh about this now, but he told me what we were going to accomplish and build in eight weeks. And admittedly, you know, I, I didn't drink the Kool-Aid in the beginning um, on this, you know, really, I've got to meet every single morning for 15 minutes, uh, you know, with, with you guys. So you forced him into the daily stand-ups, Ryan. <laughs> I did. But he appreciated it. He took his medicine well. <laughs> I've adopted it. My team does it now, even after uh, Ryan forcing me to do it. I do it willingly now with, with my own team. Wonderful. So tell us a little bit about where we are now. So this was some months ago that uh, you engaged. What's been the next step 
on that journey with you, Michael? Well, I'm, I'm happy to report, you know, we've kept that that pace moving. So at the beginning of this year, uh, we were very thankful um, to find a partner in Stanford School of Medicine. You know, they're in the heart of Palo Alto, very technologically minded, one of the biggest EB clinics um, in the world, and, and also one of the biggest and, and most reputable medical centers in the world. You know, something I'm, I'm proud to sing Stanford's praises on. They actually have a center for definitive and curative medicine. How, how beautiful is it's that? Wonderful a title, academic yeah. title for um, <laughs> being led by one of the leading clinicians in EB with a project in EB. So those are the things that get us out of bed in the morning, that, that those type of things exist not only in our own minds and our own visions, but um, in universities like Stanford School of Medicine. So we decided to run a pilot uh, with Stanford University. And, and the great thing is about having a strong academic medical center is Ryan and I can dream up visions of what we want to create and what we think is best. But to have the guide of an academic medical center partner like Stanford to say, yes, we can do this, or no, we can't do this, or perhaps we need to think a little bit more about this. They run everything through an institutional review board, which is an IRB. That's an interdisciplinary collection of experts who question and challenge. I mean, their goal is not to say, hey, Ryan and Michael, you guys are doing great. This is phenomenal. It looks fantastic. Their job is to critique and question Absolutely. and push on everything mm-hmm. that we do. Um, so it's been a tremendous gift to work with such a great partner. So we launched a pilot in the first couple months, and Ryan touched on this. You know, the questions that we asked are number one, what data exists? What data yeah. is out there? So we were able to find some data sources that have been latent, uh, somewhere from, you know, research and development studies done by biotech and pharmaceutical studies, uh, some were patient surveys that had existed and were just trapped in a spreadsheet somewhere not being used. And some was working with longitudinal de-identified patient data in real time along with Stanford to say, what can we start to understand about how these disparate data sets can talk and speak and meld and aggregate and analyze together as one? You know, how can we start you know, moving this data out of silos uh, into a cloud computing platform with AWS that we can start to drive decisions, right? That's what data does. Data allows you to drive decisions. And for us, those decisions are incredibly important because it may be, you know, do we have the correct understanding about this genetic mutation? Are we pursuing the right uh, treatments uh, and therapeutics for this particular disease or subtype? Um, are, do we understand the clinical trial landscape um, and the portfolio of clinical trials and how we can not only connect investigators to that research and clinical trials, but how we can connect patients to that research and, and clinical trials? And, and, you know, most importantly, how do we combine these data sources into a cohesive platform that delivers results, number one, to the investigators doing the work? And why is that important? It can shave years. And when you are a patient that battles a life-threatening disease, time is your greatest asset. So by aggregating and sharing data on a cloud computing platform, that can shave years off of the research and development process. Number two, how do we provide this information directly to patients? I think one of the challenges in the healthcare space is that... um, for whatever reason, we often forget about the patients, right? So you see patient registries, you see biobanks. Those are for um, industry and academia. You know, it's very rare that those are actually accessible by patients because there's a, a paternalism, for better or for worse, right? Or, or are they equipped mm-hmm. to see this information or participate mm-hmm. in this information? Uh, and then number three, trying to understand how can we be helpful in the clinical trial development stages and provide data and information, whether it be to regulators, uh, regula- regulators or 
you know, organizations that may be looking to advance clinical trials in our space. So we started that pilot with Stanford. We were able to quickly build what we would call the investigator side of the platform, serving those those researchers and clinicians, you know, making sure that they could use data and share data. And now, you know, the, the part that I've been most excited about, and certainly the patient community is most excited about, we've just begun to test and launch a direct-to-patient initiative. And why is this so important? It's really unprecedented. You know, how can we go directly to patients in the same way that Amazon would deliver a package to your door, or uh, you would go directly to your, um, you know, vendor supplier? So how can we go directly to a patient and, and make their navigation with the disease, more streamlined, more clear. And that comes in the form of having a resource bank, of a library of how to do a bandage change, how to apply a particular cream. Um, you know, when a patient is diagnosed with EB, oftentimes they're told not to search the internet, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because the information is overwhelming and it's alarming yeah. and it's not yeah. custom fit. So I think what we're exploring now, which is, which is so exciting, is a curated journey with disease. And again, um, not only a resource library, but clinical trials are very hard to understand and navigate. How can we make the UX and UI clean and clear? And Ryan touched on this. How, how can you make it easily digestible uh, by patients to understand not only the clinical landscape that exists, but how to find the right clinical trials that mes- may be best suited for, for them and their child? You know, How do you inform uh, patients about the research that's being done about their particular genomic subtype of the disease? You know, How can we make search features easier uh, to sift through publications to really get them pertinent information? And most importantly, you know, being able to, regardless of what type of rare disease uh, it is that you have or that you support, understanding of the genetics of the disease is so critical. And we've even worked on previous data sets, but half of those patients didn't even have genomic sequencing done. So giving patients the option, hey, if you do not have genetic sequencing done and you'd like it, we'll mail a kit to your house uh, and give you that information back. And I think the cornerstone of all of this, what is paramount, is giving patients the the power, the control, that seat in the driver's seat to determine how do you want your data to be used, right? And that's right, something that, right. that really hasn't been accomplished. So, um, you know, there's a great feature Ryan and I talked about early on uh, that was a great design feature, which is, you know, yes, we, we need to uh, have thorough consents, you know, from patients, from academic medical centers, all those approvals of how any data is used starts with the patient, needs to be vetted and approved by academic medical centers. However, you know, the feature that we talked about is a patient being able to choose uh, and, 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 you know, take an active or passive role and say, yes, I'm interested in sharing my data with academic uh, medical centers or clinical trials, or no, I'm not, uh, or yes, I'm interested in being connected with other patients and families, or no, I'm not, you know, giving them right. a curated option of how they would like to participate in their disease landscape, starting with, you can be completely passive, uh, not share any data and just look at the data that exists to get a better understanding uh, and sliding all the way to, you can take an incredibly active role in being part of, you know, advancing treatments and cures for the disease that you or your child battles. Right. And I'm sure like any parent as as Ryan mentioned, you know, when your child has something rare like this, you almost become an expert. You have to become an expert yourself, right, to be able to advocate for your child. And often you have this challenge of navigating the system. So I just commend you for for taking that patient-centered approach to uh, looking at how we can, you know, provide better information for everyone involved. So 
final words, when you look to what you've been able to accomplish, and uh, this is of course for EB, but do you see this, Michael, as as something that an approach that could be brought to those other 7,000 rare diseases, the framework that you've built, and then the technology solution that Ryan and his team helped lay the foundation for, is this something that, as Ryan talked about in the beginning, could have that broader impact? Absolutely. And, you know, from the, the first phone call I had with Ryan, this was incredibly important. And you know, so much about our model, whether it be new data platforms, incentivizing collaboration in the academic medical center environment, or funding in innovative ways and unique ways with, with venture philanthropy. From day one, we have always, always, always made that mission accessible and shared to other rare diseases. So that was exactly the intent here. So from the second I met Ryan, I said, look, um, I don't know if you're going to accept my project. You know, I know you're a very busy man and uh, Envision Engineering is uh, the hottest engineering group on the planet. So let, let me make an appeal to you. EB may not be big enough for you uh, to, to get your interest um, and to get the, you know, very, very um, important uh, uh, yet limited resources of your team to focus on this. But, but let me paint a vision for you. If we can build a platform um, from day one with every rare disease disease or every rare disease in mind, meaning that they're the same, they're the same needs, they're the same features, understanding the genetic of the disease, understanding the clinical trial uh, landscape, understanding the research landscape, connecting with other patients and, and families just like you. If we can build this from the beginning for all rare diseases and not look at this as an EB project, but look at this as a platform that can change a major portion of humanity, to go back to your earlier numbers, uh, Sarah, 400 million people, 95% of people who battle those diseases having zero approved treatments. Right. If we can take this as a model with EB leading the way in the case, but build it from day one with that scalability in mind, uh, can we work together? Pretty please. And then I, I sent uh, Ryan a bunch of follow-up emails until he finally said yes. I'm just joking. Ryan got it from, from, from I was going to say, I'm sure you didn't have to convince him. Even even the work that you're doing with EB patients, right, Ryan? It's so inspiring. and Yeah. And just hearing this hearing this again brings me back to those initial conversations, and I'm almost ready to help him with the next one right now. I mean, it's, uh, it, it, was a, it was an amazing opportunity, an amazing experience, and I'm super happy that we had our little part in it. So this is great. Well, and, you know, to, to pass the compliments around, you know, big, bold, audacious ideas are, are phenomenal. But there is no doubt in my mind that we would not be where we are, the impact that we're making in EB with this platform, and the impact we will make in rare disease without meeting Ryan, without being introduced to the Envision Engineering team in AWS, uh, because I would still be talking about it to this day, but not having the resources the energy, the shared vision, the technical expertise and talent uh, to actually go out and build this and do it rapidly. So I could not be more thankful. Well, wow. Thank you so much, Michael. That's uh, wonderful to hear. And Ryan, thank you also for being with us here today. Appreciate it, sir. I'd like to thank our listeners for coming on today's journey with us. Innovation Ambassadors is a production of the AWS Media Series. Look for future episodes of our vodcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite streaming platform. 
If you have ideas for future episodes or comments on this one, send us a tweet at hashtag AWS Innovation Ambassadors and share your thoughts. Thank you.